As you have heard me mention on more than one occasion, we have a wonderful assortment of tracks and DVDs and all kinds of very scripturally sound information for your growth and encouragement in the scriptures. And again, I would ask that you take advantage of that, not only to learn for yourselves, but to take some of those trifolds and maybe give them out to other people. There's a lot of questions that, that you have that can be answered by a lot of those tracks out there. And I, and I hope that every three months you pick up one of these little power for today. They're a good little Devo to get started with in the morning. And I want to read to you the first paragraph of the article, The Power of One, from Wednesday, October 12th. For those of you who read these every day and start your day off with them, as well as, as things like the Marco Polo app, you may recognize this. When Nehemiah learned that the nobles and officials in Judah were seizing the fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses of poor people who could not pay their debts and taxes, he called the wealthy political leaders together and accused them of exacting usury. With passion, he persuaded them to restore the things they had taken. Nehemiah was only one man, but he blessed the lives of many powerless people. The illustration that follows, I will read it. I once traveled with my fellow missionaries to a heart-stirring lecture in Cambodia. The speaker was a doctor who dedicated his life to saving children in that beautiful but beleaguered nation. He raised funds and established five hospitals where poor children receive high quality medical treatment free of charge. He and his staff have saved millions of lives during the past 20 years. This doctor, like Nehemiah, has confronted corruption in high places to help the helpless. And then he says it is incredible that what one person can do when they are passionate about helping the powerless. With God's help, we can all make a difference in the world. It was that little article that inspired this morning's lesson as I thought about it. This morning's lesson is entitled, The Power of One. And as I read that and as I thought about it, I was also reminded of a sermon excerpt that was written almost 100 years ago. It was written in 1926, or at least published in 1926, by James Allen Francis. Many of you may have seen it on a Christmas card. Some of you may see it this year on one. It's called One Solitary Life. And as we, as we consider the power of one, consider this little article. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. <coughs> Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled 
for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all of the armies that ever marched, all of the navies that ever sailed, all of the parliaments that ever sat, all of the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of a man on this earth, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. And while we may argue a technicality here or there of the article itself, the point is still well made. The power of one, brethren, the power of one, no matter how you slice it or how you look at it, is infinite. The power of one is incalculable. It is incredible. It is insurmountable and it is inarguable. Whether we are talking about the power of one for good or the power of one for evil, and whether we're talking about something as simple as one word or something as small, quote unquote, as one sin, something as seemingly insignificant as one person, or something as stunningly short-sighted as one spur-of-the-moment decision. No matter which one of those we're talking about, the power of one cannot be overstated, overestimated, or overemphasized ever, as we are going to see. Let us, let us begin this morning as we talk about those four categories and the power of one. Let us begin with something as simple as one word. One simple, one syllable word. And the power the power that that little word, that one little one-syllable word has to destroy men's eternities. The power that that one single word has to destroy people's eternal lives, to destroy men's souls. Whether they put that one little word in where God did not put it, or they take that one little word out of where God did put it, that one little word makes an eternity's difference. We've discussed the word here before, and so I won't spend a lot of time with the, the first two applications of it, but I think a great place to begin when it comes to the infinite power of one is the power of the one word, not, N-O-T. We, we're very familiar with Genesis 3, the snake asks Eve, what God said, and, and she said, God said that we must not touch the tree or we will surely die. We know that Satan said in Genesis 3 and verse 4, thou shalt surely not die. That's the power of that one word. Satan took that one word not and he put it right in the middle of that. And, and I want you to think about this. Every nursing home you've ever been in, every funeral home you've ever been in, every time there has ever been a sin connected with anything comes back to the power of that one word because the garden was sinless, the garden was pure. There was no sin, no sickness, no death, no dying. The garden was utopian. And yet, 
When she chose to trust what Satan said by sticking that one word in there, not, it changed everything. Death entered the world. Sin and sickness entered. And every, as I said, funeral home, nursing home, that, that whole situation started with that one word, not. But what I want us to understand this morning, as horrific as that is, is that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. And you say, well, how can that possibly be? Well, well here's how, because not only has it taken physical lives, but on a much more horrifying note, that one little word throughout the centuries has caused millions of spiritual deaths as well. Spiritual, eternal deaths. That one little word, not. That's the power of one. It has cost millions of spiritual deaths by making people believe they have obeyed God for eternal life when in fact they have not. Turn with me in your Bibles to several well-worn, well-known passages. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. And you know, Satan found something and it works. The power of this one little word. And, and, and let's talk about how it takes eternal souls eternal souls. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. How many millions of people do you know of, or you don't know millions of people probably, not even on, anyway, social media, but how many people do you know of the millions that are here today who believe instead of what that actually says, who have taken the bait and let Satan put a knot in there, and they read it like this. He who believes and is not baptized will be saved. Because they don't believe baptism has anything to do with salvation. They bought the lie as Satan stuck that knot in there that all you gotta do is believe. And they believe that one who believes and is not baptized can be saved. That's costing eternal souls. Because that's not what the Lord said. We can see this again in, in, in the souls that are lost. Eternity is lost in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you'll turn with me there, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. The power of one word is incredible. It is incalculable. 1 Peter chapter 3. We know that in verses 18 and following, 18, 19, and 20, Peter takes us back to the ark and he explains how eight people were saved in the ark through water, which symbolizes baptism. And, and we know that if Noah and his family hadn't gotten into the ark, they couldn't have been saved. Just like we, if we don't get baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we can't be saved. And, and look what he says in verse 21. There's an antitype or there is a, a figure that comes out of what Noah did with the ark, which now saves us. Baptism. There's some, this figure that now saves us, baptism. How many people do you know who would stick the word not in there or who would bought the lie that there's an antitype which does, which does not now save us, baptism, because they don't, they don't believe baptism saves us. But that verse says it does. Now, there are other things. Of course, there's faith, there's repentance, there's other things. But baptism, he said, now saves us. How many people taking that one little word and say, it does not now save us, and it's cost them their souls. Another place we see this is in Ephesians chapter four. Again, very familiar passages, very easy to understand passages, but so many people believe a form of them 
where Satan has stuck that one little word in there, it, it is unbelievable. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's very simple. A five-year-old can understand this, where he says in verse 4, there is one body. Now, he's already told us in verses 22 and 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, the church is the body. But he says there is one body, one spirit, as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And yet, how many people do you know that believe, even if they've not put it in those terms, there is not one body. There is not just one church. Any church is okay. See, you add that one word in there, which is what they've done with their thinking, whether they've said that statement or not. If you tell them, the Bible says there's only one body, there's one church. Well, we can go anywhere we want, so long as we can believe anything we want, as long as we believe something. They believe the lie that comes by taking that one word not and sticking it in there. There is not one body. Other people <clears throat> believe that as long as you have faith of some sort, that you're okay. That there's all kinds of different faiths. You can have you can be called by this faith, you can have that faith, you can have some other faith. What they actually believe is, is there is not one faith. Verse 5. Others believe there is not one baptism. God said there's only one. I mean, a five-year-old can understand one. A three-year-old, my granddaughter can understand one. If she's got treats and we tell her, okay, here's your choice, but you can only take one. She, she gets it. She knows what one means. This is not rocket science. If it was, I wouldn't be doing it. He said there's one. But how many people do you know say, well, <clears throat> there's other baptisms besides that one you see in Acts 2. I mean, we can be sprinkled or, or we can be baptized as an outward sign of an inward grace or we can be baptized after we've been saved. They believe there's all kinds of different baptisms, but God said, no, there's only one. But they've stuck that word not in there. And so you can see the power of that one little word that's cost millions of souls their eternity and the same is true of the power of that one word not when God did put it in and people take it out that happens in scripture too Matthew chapter 7 if you would verse 21 how many people do you know who will say all I got to do is believe and call him Lord and I'm saved all it takes, as long as you believe and call him Lord, you're saved. Well, in order to do that, they have to take the knot out of where God did put it. Matthew 7, 21, they read it like this. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. All you got to do is believe and call him Lord. That's it. But that's not what it says. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, if we not cast... Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know how you can read verse 21, take the knot out of it, and then have it make any sense with 22 and 23, but people believe that all you've got to do is call him Lord and believe. They cross out the knot at the beginning of verse 21. And then there are those who like to move the knot around like to take it out of where it actually occurs, where God actually put it, to mean what God said it means, and then take it and put it somewhere else in the sentence where it doesn't go to prove just the opposite as far as they're concerned. And that would be an example of, or James 2.24 would be an example of that. If you turn to James chapter 2, watch this. Verse 
James chapter 2. Verse 24. This is what it actually says. Follow along in your own Bibles. Don't take my word for it. Read it. You have seen then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That's what it said. That's what God said. That a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now it's talking about a specific kind of works. We've talked about this before. It's not a contradiction of Romans 4 or any of those things. We've discussed this. Of course, if you never study the Bible, you don't understand that. But look what he said one more time. That man is justified by works and not by faith only. And yet how many people do you have cross out that not and say, man saved by faith only, faith alone. Faith alone will save you. Faith only will save you. What they do is they take that not out of where God put it. They slide it up in the sentence further to read, you see then that a man is not justified by works and by faith only. They completely corrupt the passage. That's the power of one word. And that one word is going to take people to hell. One simple, three-letter, one-syllable word. The incredible, infinite power of one, when it comes to just that one little word, not, is horrifying. It is horrifying. But the power of one does not stop there. What about the power of one when it comes to just one small sin? What about the power of one small sin? And the reason I put it that way is because we often admit that we're all sinners, and we should, we are. We should admit that. And we quote, we quote Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and that's true. That is absolutely true. And then we talk about and pray repeatedly about how none of us is perfect and we all ask for God's continual forgiveness. All of that's true, all of that's good stuff, all of that's right, all of that's biblical. But here's the danger with that. I think by doing that all the time, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of taking sin for granted and just thinking that one little sin or sin's not that bad. As we say, well, we've all done it. Well, nobody's perfect. It would be very easy for Satan to get us to twist that up and think that somehow one sin or one little sin isn't, isn't all that big of a deal, that, that we, could, we could fall into that trap. We could minimize the devastating power that just one sin can have both on our earthly life as well as our eternal life. For example, again, too, that we've talked about at length in here since I've been here over the past four years. Just one sin got them kicked out of the garden. Had a relationship with God, they walked with God. One sin. That's the power of one seemingly It's a bite of the fruit, really? Uh-huh, that's how, that's how powerful sin is, yes. Yes, 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 yes. It only took one sin for Moses not to enter the promised land. He was told that he needed to speak to the rock a second time and he struck it and that was it. If you don't think that, well, wait a minute, didn't Moses lead the people and he went through all this stuff with Pharaoh and, and he obeyed God and he, he put up with those people just, just complaining and grumbling as we've talked about over the last few weeks all the time. And 
One sin, yes, one sin has that kind of power. Let's not, yes, let's admit we're sinners. Let's admit that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, let us pray for forgiveness. Yes, 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 yes. But let us not, because of that, minimize or think that, that sin is just this, this little problem that, that we're all guilty of anyway, so it's not that big a deal. Brethren, it's a big deal. One sin, yes it is. One of the greatest examples of this, turn with me in your Bibles. The second Samuel chapter 12. One of the best examples of, of this in the Bible is David and Bathsheba. Second Samuel chapter 12. We know the story of David and Bathsheba. We know that David saw her bathing and took her and she was another man's wife and then he had her husband killed and he tried to cover up his sin and he goes through this whole process and so finally Nathan the prophet comes to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12 David goes through this story illustration and makes David mad and David said the guilty man ought to die and Nathan said you're the guilty you're, you are the man you're the one that did this and then look look that one sin look what it cost actually I guess it's two if you throw in Uriah but we'll go with the original one with Bathsheba 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. He said, David, because you've done this. Oh, wait a minute, wasn't David a man after God's own heart? Yep, was. Wasn't he God's chosen one to be the king? Yep, he was. Yeah, he was. Wasn't he the sweet psalmist of Israel? Yeah, he was. But despite all that, the power of this one sin was that the sword would never depart from his house. And how, verse 11, the Lord said, I will raise up adversaries against you from your own house. I'll take your wives before your eyes, give them to your neighbor, and he'll lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel before the sun. If you read the next through chapter 18, what you will find is the sword didn't depart from David's house. His own kids. There was rape, there was murder, there was incest, there was rebellion, there was all kinds of horrible, horrible things. And God says, I'm going to let these... See, David started the ball rolling. That's the power of one sin. It can start some terrible things happening. Even the child that was to be born to her was to die. That's the power of one sin. We could, we could look at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. I'm not going to turn there, but, but we know they agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit and it cost them both their lives. Speaking of the power of, of, of quotes, just one small sin, let me ask you this. What would have happened had Jesus Christ our Lord committed one sin. Had our Lord committed one single solitary sin, we'd have no Savior. That's the power of one sin. Every accountable soul that has ever lived would die and go to hell. If the Lord had committed just one quote-unquote small 
sin because we would have no sinless sacrifice, we would have no sinless advocate, we would have no sinless high priest before the Lord God Almighty. Aren't you grateful that Jesus Christ did not commit one small sin, that he indeed is our high priest, even though he was tempted in all things as we are, yet he was out without sin. Aren't you glad? Because one sin would have cost us all. Hebrews 7, 25 and 26, according to the English Standard Version, telling us, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, listen to this now, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. The only way we could have Jesus as our sinless high priest was to have Jesus as our sinless, innocent, unstained by sin high priest. One sin. And you and I would be in hell forever if Jesus was the one who committed it. What about the power of one when it comes to our third group? What about the power of one when it comes to people? We, we've already read about one solitary life and I'm talking about Jesus, but, but what about when it comes to one human being, one flawed human being. Jesus was not a flawed human being. He was God and he was man, but he was not flawed. What about when it comes to one flawed human being? What about when it comes to being the only one person in a huge crowd that belongs to Jesus? What about being the one person at your school, in your workplace, in your family, the one? who knows and obeys God despite what everybody around you says or does or how they treat you as a result. The power of one when it comes to one person for good or for evil, both earthly and eternal, is every bit as powerful as one word or one sin. Take for a moment with me and consider the power of one for good when it comes to just one God-fearing, faithful, but still flawed human being who chooses to serve God no matter what. Think about the power of one for good. What about Noah? You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Noah. If Noah had been as bad as the rest of the world, he and his family, you wouldn't be here. Because God would have wiped them all out. That one man found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he did all that the God commanded him. That's the power of one. What about the power of one when it comes to Joseph? Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. We know the story up through Egypt and, and all of that and, and his life. And what about the power of one? You know, God was with Joseph because Joseph wanted God, even when he was jailed for a reason, for crime that he didn't commit. Through all of the things that, that Joseph went through, Joseph stayed faithful. What about the power of that one man? At the end of the book, Joseph saves his entire family because that's the power of one. He says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's the power of one. In a foreign land, abandoned, rejected. Some of you know, some of us know what it's like to be abandoned and rejected by your own family because you're following God on one level or another. You know what that feels like. Joseph stuck with it. That is the power of one for good. What about Esther? The whole Jewish race would have been wiped out 
there in, in that area if it wasn't for Esther. Who knows, but that you have come to, the, come to the kingdom for a time like this, the throne for a time like this. She saved her people. That's the power of one godly woman. The power of one godly person cannot be overestimated. The power of one. Talk a lot about my granddaughter. She's three. She's being raised in the church. Why? Well, because of who her mom and daddy are. Mother was raised in the church. Why was her mother raised in the church? Well, because somebody once invited Katie's mom and dad to church, one person. Maybe it was a couple. I don't know which one of them suggested it first, the husband or the wife. But one couple, if you will, took the time to invite Doug and Karen Dingley to church way back in the 80s. A lot of you that are here weren't alive then. And because of that power of that one invitation, the power of that one invitation to come to the Lord's church and see led to generations in the church. It led to our being here in Oklahoma. It led to all kinds of things that have happened since 1985. The power of one invitation is incredible. Secondly, and by contrast, let us consider the power of one when it comes to the horrific damage that just one can do. Do you know that studies have been done and it goes something like this, that if a church has people or a member that's talking bad about it, that sometimes a recovery can take decades? That's the power for evil that one person can do. We think today of the power of one person, you might, maybe the first person that comes to mind is somebody like, you know, Vladimir Putin, one person. The damage that man has caused, the loss of life that man has caused, the, even in his own country, the people that have left and the families that are ripped apart and the death and the devastation, the power of one cannot be overstated. We, we could talk about the power of, of one abortion doctor. We could talk about the power of one televangelist who's not teaching the truth and has a worldwide audience of thousands on a Sunday morning. We talk about the power, let me ask you this. Who is causing more damage and destruction? Think about this. Who's causing more damage and destruction of those three mentioned? Vladimir Putin? An abortion doctor that's been at it for 20 years? or the televangelist who's preaching lies and sticking not in God's word where it shouldn't be. You know who's doing the most damage, don't you? It ain't Putin and it ain't the abortion doctor because both of those are taking earthly lives. But the preacher who stands up and puts knots in God's word where God didn't put them or takes them out of where God did put them when it comes to the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, any of those things that we talked about earlier or baptism for salvation, when, when one man stands up and has got all of that pull and influence over thousands, he's preventing people to a degree, having an impact, a huge impact on people to lose their eternal lives. That is the power of one person. As I said at the beginning, power of one is incredible, insurmountable, it is inarguable. 
And it doesn't matter if we're talking about something as simple as one word, small as one sin, insignificant as one person, or something as short-sighted as one spur-of-the-moment decision. A lot of times, these four go hand in hand. Eve's got all four of them. She, she, she starts right out, man. She's got all four of them. She's got the power of one word not. She's got the power of one decision eat. She's got the power of one person when she convinced her husband. And she's got the power of one sin because that's what caused sin. So, so she, you know, she's got all four going on for her. And, and they do oftentimes run together. But church, whether you're a member of the church or not, people, 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 beware the infinite, incredible, soul-damning power of just one emotion-driven, spur-of-the-moment, seemingly harmless and insignificant decision which can change your entire earthly and eternal One decision can change your entire earthly and eternal life for good or for evil. One decision. Happened to Eve when she and her husband decided to eat the fruit. One decision. Happened to David when he decided to take another man's wife to himself. One decision changed his life, changed his family's life, changed it for decades to come. It happened to Solomon when he decided to marry many pagan women. One decision. Well, that one was more than one, but put them all together, I guess. It happened to the disciples in John chapter 6 when they decided to walk away. We've talked about that in sermons recently. When those in John 6 decided to walk away rather than take the time to understand what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Do you want to go away too? And Peter said, Lord, where else do we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have come to know and believe that you are the Christ. Listen, if you don't believe that, you've got no hope. The power of one decision is incredible. It is incalculable. It happened to Judas when he let his anger get the best of him and he went out and sold out Jesus. Did that one decision change Judas's life? It shortened it up a little bit. One decision. Because he was angry over that vial of perfume and that it wasn't sold to quote unquote give to the poor when indeed all he wanted to do was pilfer out of the money box and he's upset with the decision that's made. So he goes out and sells out Jesus and the entire group and winds up going out and hanging himself. Yeah, one decision, that'll change things. Happened to Agrippa in Acts 26 when he said to Paul, almost you persuade me to become a Christian almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Really, Agrippa? Agrippa knew the law and the prophets. Paul said, I, I know you do. I know you know the law and the prophets. Or do you believe them? I, I know you do. But we never see Agrippa come to becoming a Christian. He's, he's right there on the cusp. He's right there on the edge. He knows but he just won't make that decision. How many people sit in our pews every Sunday 
and they know and they can see it and they can read it when the preacher says turn to this passage and they know it's there and they're right on the cusp of making that decision Jesus warned in Matthew 13 of the word being sown and the birds coming and snatching it away and we probably all know people that have sat in our pews who've heard the messages never really came forward never never did what they knew they needed to do and eventually they weren't abused any longer because the word got snatched away probably all of us can think of somebody like that we know right there right there one decision one decision not to come forward and be baptized when they knew that was the right thing to do and eventually the seed was just taken and they were gone that is the power of one decision brethren what about Demas when he turned his back on Paul and went back into the world that one decision you think hurt him Peter said it had been better off if they'd never come than, if, than knowing the way of righteousness to come and then to go back and get into the world again and this is what will start to happen to us if and when we ever underestimate or forget about the power of one the power of one seemingly insignificant little decision like well I know that I really shouldn't be watching stuff that's rated like this but you know man everybody said that's such a good movie I know I shouldn't but you know I just wonder how many marriages have been destroyed because of the eventual pornography that has come into the life of somebody who started out just a movie or two they shouldn't have watched power of one decision the power of one decision such as well yeah, I, I, I know that I should be in church on Sunday. I, I know that I should, and, and I could be. I'm not sick or anything, but, you know, I just, I, I really I want to stay home and do this. It's been a hard week, and I'm just tired, so I'm, I'm just going to sit this one. It'll be okay. And then a month down the line, well, you know, I'm still here. God didn't zap me the first time. I'm having another one of those days. And then... Two years down the road, they never set foot in the church building again. Power of one decision. Can be seen in a lot of places. Taking that first drink, just because the law says I'm now legal to do so. Dating that person who is of another faith than I am. Not getting to know God better through being in Bible class and studying his word daily when I know there are those in the church that would study with me in a heartbeat if I would just ask them. Power of one decision. Powerful stuff. Or sitting in the pews through yet another countless invitation even though I know that I need to respond and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Or sitting in the pews through one more invitation when life is killing me it's crushing me and I know I need help and I know I need the prayers of the church but I just can't find it in myself to go down front and tell people my issue I know it's gonna kill me if I don't I know it's gonna destroy me 
but I'll sit in the pews one more day. You know what one of the greatest beauties of the power of one is? We've talked about a lot of stuff that ain't so beautiful. You know what one of the greatest beauties of the power of one is? That God has given you and me one more day today to change things if we need to. That's the beauty of the power of one. His mercies are new every morning, Lamentations chapter 3. Every morning, God's mercies are new. And God has given me another chance today, the power of one. I have, today is the first day of the rest of my life. I have the power of this one day. I know my ship is sinking. I know that I need to do this. I know that I need to do that. I know that I need to do whatever this is over here. And, and, and it's killing me. I've made this one decision. I've got tangled up in this one sin. I've, I've believed this one word and I, I haven't done what I know I need to, but I've got the power of one. I've got today and I can fix that. Thank God for the power of one more day. The power of one is beyond belief. It's beyond belief. It's beyond anything you can imagine when it comes to your earthly and eternal life. The power of one cannot... I, I could spend the rest of my life and not scratch the surface preaching this same lesson every Sunday. That's the power of one. It is incredible, infinite, and unimaginable. So please this morning, do not let the power of one word in the scriptures like we discussed, the power of one sin in your life, which may seem insignificant, the power of one person in the assembly, for good or for evil influence, or the power of one stunningly short-sighted decision stop you from doing what you know that you need and ought to do right now in response to that one single life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as it says three times in Hebrews 3 and 4. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not let the power of one word in the scriptures, one sin in your life, one person in the assembly, or one short-sighted moment stop you from making the right decision right now for the help you need as we stand and sing.